The Making Sense podcast is recorded by Chaplin Investments Managing Partner Ed Butowski and Jordan McFarland. If you have any questions, please email them to info at chopwoodinvestments.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Making Sense with Ed Butowski podcast. Today, we'll be discussing a woman's best friend, diamonds, or maybe it's an investor's best friend you might see after today's conversation. So, Ed, what did, uh, what did you think of today's conversation? Well, I, I, I find it remarkable how many people, when they think about an inflation hedge, they automatically think of gold, silver, or in some cases, Bitcoin. But diamonds have been one of the great inflation hedges of all time. But many people don't buy them correctly. It's also, you know, when you buy gold, you know what gold prices are and you can buy it at that price. Silver, you know what silver prices are, you buy it at that price. But diamonds, historically, if you buy them at a mall or uh, or a jewelry store, you're going to find that you're paying over what the correct price is. And what Heidi's going to talk a little bit about in this interview is how to buy them correctly and how to really invest in diamonds versus just buying them uh, for, you know, recreational purposes. So mm-hmm. I, I find, I find, you know, and Heidi has been a friend of mine for many, many, many years. I trust her tremendously and I hope uh, everybody enjoys uh, what she has to say. That's right. And, and on top of that, yeah, we discussed diamonds as an investment. Um, like you said, comparing diamonds to gold and silver, comparing lab-grown to to regular diamonds, and and even Ed, how um, diamond manufacturers mark up and and kind of become the middleman. So, um, everyone, we hope you enjoy your conversation or our conversation with Heidi. As normal, if you have any questions for next week episode, uh, feel free to forward them to us. But other than that, let's uh, let's get into the conversation. Heidi, it's uh, great to have you on today. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And Ed, how are we doing today, sir? Well, we're doing great. We got my good friend, Heidi. We've been friends for, oh my goodness, what, 40 years? Yeah, since 1980. And uh, there's very <laughs> few people that I love more and trust more than Heidi. Uh, wow. I feel the same way about you, Edward. So go ahead, Jordan, hit me with your trivia. Hey, you already knew you were ahead of it. So I kept the trivia question on diamonds today. So normally we think of diamonds, like I said, not so much as an investment, but more of being a woman's best friend. So that's that's kind of a hint. So my question is, when did diamonds become synonymous with a marriage proposal or I'll even call it marriage ceremonies or, or whatever have you? Um, if you guess the, the decade, I will give it to you, Ed. 1920. No. You have it? <laughs> What do you say, Heidi? I say it started in the 1400s. Honestly, that may be correct. That may be correct. So what I found online was in 1947, a man named N.W. Ayer started the Diamond is Forever campaign, which launched the Eternal Love and Commitment campaign. Oh, yes, you are correct about that. But but we as... as humans have been giving diamonds as a sign of love since the 1400, but there was no campaign back then. Right. That was before we had uh, a lot of marketers pushing it, but that's a, that's kind of a, a good segue. Why don't you talk to us a little bit, Heidi, about kind of how you got in to the diamond industry and, and, you know, why you're so passionate about it. Okay. So, uh, 
my grandfather's father, Julius Ortman, started our company back in 1899. He predominantly sold silver platters. Those were very popular back then. And then my grandfather, Jack Ortman, when he took over the company, he moved into uh, diamonds, precious stones, which are ruby, emerald, sapphire, and estate jewelry and custom jewelry, which means that you custom make a piece for your client. And how, how long have you been in the diamond business? You were in the diamond business before you even went to college, you know, because you've been around it your whole life. Yeah. So I've been around the diamond business my whole life. I still remember going into my grandfather's office, which was on 48th between Madison and 5th. Originally, that was his office. And he had a huge vault with three safes. Tons of jewelry. And I would go in the trays. I'd put on a diamond tiara. I'd get all dressed up when I was, you know, five, six years old. I started doing that. So it's it's always been around. And then when I was 14, my grandfather said, Heidi, you remember my grandfather, the way he talked. <laughs> yep. You got to bring this jewelry to London for me. And I was like, okay. And I was, I think I was 14 or 15. And he gave me a suitcase he told me how to keep it with me the whole time. I had no idea what I was carrying. I get to London. I had to go through Carnet. They open up the suitcase. It's filled with <laughs> diamond tiaras, diamond necklaces. Back then, people wore big, flashy jewelry. And I guess he trusted me to not lose the suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> And I, yeah, I brought, I brought it over to uh, a gentleman named Iva Pitt who was selling his jewelry for him. So, so the diamond business is one that I absolutely love. And, and you know that. And, and I often say that diamonds trade in sync with gold and silver, but there's a way to buy diamonds that make it really attractive for an investor. So I want you to talk about the rap list, uh, Heidi, and why people, you know, when they go to a, a mall and they buy a diamond, they're paying usually 400% more than what it's worth. That's why there's so many jewelry stores. But when you get to really big, important pieces, there's a way to buy diamonds that's, uh, that is highly competitive. So will you tell us about that? Yeah, so Martin Rappaport is the gentleman who came up with the Rappaport list or Rappaport pricing. And every diamond, depending upon its shape, color, clarity, and cut, and there's all other things that go into it, fluorescence, but we'll, we'll stay with the basics. Um, there is a price a Rappaport price. And then depending upon where you are in the market, you're either going to be paying above Rappaport or you are going to be able to buy below Rappaport. So basically what happens is these rough diamonds from the ground go to um, site holders. They are the people who buy the rough stone 
they recut it and they determine the price of the diamond based on how much they have to spend on the rough diamond. So they are, you know, the first tier. After they cut the diamond, then the wholesale diamond dealers purchase the diamonds from them. And then they sell it or give it on consignment to the stores. So there are those diamonds. Then there are diamonds that are already in the market who are, that are being resold. So there's a price for that. But every stone, like just, just for instance, a three carat, like a three carat round diamond. If we were to say a perfect diamond, 3.50 carats, D flawless, that stone is going to, on the wholesale list, is going to trade for around forty-five to 50000 per carat which means, um, you know, it's around 150 to 175,000. That's the wholesale price. Then that diamond dealer is going to give it to a store at like Cartier Tiffany, and they're going to sell it anywhere from like 175 to 225 to 250. That's for a perfect diamond. Now, most fine quality diamonds are not as expensive. Um, like a, and I just made myself some notes here because I looked it up on on Rappaport before we were speaking. Uh, a three twenty three FBS one, which is also considered a very high quality diamond. Okay, that trades for around fifty to sixty thousand on the wholesale market. Retail, it would be somewhere around you know eighty to a hundred thousand. So that's the distinction of. Um, wholesale to retail and if and if you wanted to buy them correctly you want to buy them at a discount from the wrap list correct correct so you want to if you're investing in diamonds you definitely want to be able to buy it at a discount below rapaport uh the only thing is there is no set percentage because every stone is um is valued a little differently. Rounds are, are considered the most expensive because those are always the most in demand. So that percentage might be slightly different than if you were buying, let's say, a pear, she pear shape or a marquee diamond. You'd probably get a lot more off the Rappaport price because a pear shape or a marquee isn't in as much demand as a round. So, so in essence... If everything worked perfectly, you could buy the diamond at 30% off of wrap. And then you could, if in fact you found a buyer, you could turn around and sell it at what the wrap price was. And in so that's a wonderful thing. So you have a built-in hedge there, but it also trades with gold and silver. Um, so to me, it doesn't make any sense to buy gold or silver. You should always be buying diamonds at a percentage off of wrap if you're looking to buy these as investments. Yeah. Well, the one thing I will say about that is um, obviously if uh, you want, you can buy diamonds and you can keep them in, you know, a, par a parcel paper like this in a safe. Like these are two carat each. Uh, I don't know if you can see the the loose diamonds, but what what I think is nice about diamonds is that you can buy them and you can wear them, whether you're a man or a woman. Um, I know a lot of men who are wearing diamonds today. So, 
you get to invest in something and enjoy and enjoy it. I mean, I, my grandfather had people who bought 10 carat emerald cuts. Uh, I don't know, back in the, this was probably in the sixties and the seventies. And then when they came to resell them in the nineties, they were making huge profits on yeah. what they purchased and they were wearing it the whole time. So you got, you know, you got to enjoy, it's like buying a house and living in your house. Whereas gold, unless you're buying a gold necklace, you know, you're buying, I guess the, the gold blocks and they're just sitting somewhere. So you're not really enjoying it unless you're buying gold jewelry and wearing that. So, so, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, natural and lab grown diamonds because you know i i would think you know in our previous conversations you're not opposed to lab grown diamonds um but i would think that as a diamond aficionado you would have a little bit of an issue with them but can you tell us a little bit about lab grown diamonds and how much cheaper they are than real diamonds yeah so more recently, I've changed my opinion on Lab Diamond. Originally, I would never recommend them to a client because they were maybe 20% less expensive than a natural. And in my opinion, I thought they were still very expensive for what they were. And I didn't really understand, um, you know, the value of a Lab Diamond. I think if you're ever going to invest in something, you only invest in natural diamonds and you invest in, you know, top quality white diamonds or fancy color diamonds. And that's it. Lab diamonds, on the other hand, recently have been able to come down in price because they manufactured them in a laboratory in India. Um, a lot of the people who I deal with with lab diamonds are in India. Some of them are in the United States, but they basically take a piece of carbon and it's obviously took years to figure this out. They put it in a machine and it grows a diamond. The diamond is exactly the same as a natural diamond that's grown in the ground for millions of years. So one is natural, one is made in a laboratory, but it's a real diamond. It's not a cubic zirconia, it's not a moissanite. It's exactly like a real diamond. And oh, I always thought they were CZ cubic zirconias. No, a cubic zirconia is not has nothing to do with a diamond. A lab diamond is a diamond. Like if you were to see a natural diamond and a, uh, you know, a lab diamond. So, I mean, you can't see here cause it's, it's hard, but if you were to look at them side by side, you would never be able to tell a difference. A gemologist would not be able to tell the difference. The only way you can tell the difference is from the certificate. There's very specific, distinctions in the way the inclusions grow in the stone. Mm -hmm. But even a gemologist looking at the diamond with a loop cannot tell the difference. So if you're ever buying a natural diamond or a lab diamond of a 
of a, you know, substantial size, anything over a carat, it must come with a certificate. Not an appraisal, but a certificate, either from the GIA or the IGI, stating exactly what it is. And um, just to get back to, you know, the, the um, whether, you know, I <laughs> recommend buying a lab diamond, for me, what it's enabled uh, a lot of people that in the general public to do is own a diamond, a beautiful diamond. I mean, you can buy a three to five carat gem quality diamond for under $10,000, where if it was a natural diamond, it's going to be anywhere from 50 to a hundred thousand for the same quality stone. So they can be anywhere from 70 to 90% less expensive depending upon what it is. And I just think it's nice for, you know, anybody who would want to have a beautiful diamond to be able to own one. So, so Heidi, off of that, when it comes to if you're going to invest versus if your purpose is just to maybe, you know, buy a diamond for your wife, I'm assuming when you turn around to sell that though, that does have a, a big, you know, inference on what the diamond's going to go for in terms of investment value. Right. So I really don't know what the resale value of a lab diamond is. I would imagine that, you know, if somebody buys a pair of um, like these are these are two carat each and I bought these for myself. They're they're lab diamond diamond studs. So normally if I was going to buy myself a pair of two carat each GVS stones, they're going to cost me. And this is wholesale. They're going to cost me somewhere between fifty to sixty-five thousand, depending upon the color and the clarity and the cut and all of that. Um, so I, you know, I sell these for uh, thirty-nine hundred dollars. So that's a huge break. So yes, if I, you know, decide tomorrow, oh, I want to get rid of my diamond studs, I would have to find somebody else. <laughs> who also wants lab diamond diamond studs to buy my earrings. I don't think there's any um, diamond dealer who's going to take it back, whereas most diamond dealers will take back a diamond on an exchange, but that doesn't mean you necessarily get 100%. If you, if you buy top quality, yeah, over time, they always go up. But if you buy mediocre quality i think those are the diamonds today that are are hurting and you're not really getting your money back unfortunately so so one of the things i want to do for those who are watching is highlight the hierarchy and if that's the right way of saying it the different levels of people who sell diamonds so if if i was to start off with the most expensive would be the people who sell at the mall then people who have their own standalone jewelry store. Then you get these people who are called wholesalers. Right. Uh, and, and then wholesalers will present themselves as being really wonderful and cheap, but they're usually marking things up 50 to 70% over wrap. And then when. Not, not necessarily. 
No, not necessarily. It's diamonds are pretty cut and dry. You can you can do that more with color stones, ruby, emerald, sapphire. It's more of a blind item. But a, a diamond, depending upon the, the shape, the cut, the clarity, it, it's pretty standardized because of Rappaport. Well, I was gonna what I was leading to is then for someone like you who is at the 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 best level for somebody to buy a diamond because you're very honest and you take people to the 20 to 30 to 40% off of wrap where most wholesale people aren't going with their clients. They're trying to make as much of a markup as they can. Um, I just wanted to highlight that anybody watching should reach out to Heidi and because you can get it appraised, you know, the diamonds and, and the precious stones, but you can also sell them diamonds at the correct price versus the mall, the jewelry store, the wholesaler. And yes, yes, absolutely. So I I love being able to give my clients an excellent value for what they spend. So, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I want to spend X amount of money, I will find the best stone and create the best ring or earrings or necklace for them in that price range. And you should never ever feel um, embarrassed about how much you want to spend on a piece of jewelry. I have clients who buy something from me for a hundred dollars and I have clients who spend a million dollars and, you know, I'm willing to take the time and the energy to help educate you and curate the best piece for that individual. And because I've been doing this for 40 years, I have the best sources. Yes, absolutely. So I did see on your website, also you do, as you just mentioned, uh, jewelry consulting. And and this goes into a bit of a personal question for me, Heidi. So I've already uh, got the ring for my wife that has a diamond on it. So I know that there's multiple other areas that you can go. So what do you recommend? And this may be a personal preference, but necklace, earrings, what is the next, uh, I guess, step up for me once we move on from the the ring? Um, I would say most people like diamond studs. Studs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, over the years, I find that that's sort of been the progression you know, you get the engagement ring. Then after the engagement ring, obviously you get the wedding band. Have you gotten married already? I have. Oh, okay. So you both have your wedding bands, he correct? He two wedding bands, actually. So Okay. Well, that's good. I got dragged into that. Yeah. And um, I find women just love diamond studs. You know, it's something that you can wear every single day. Um, you can do natural or lab, depending upon how much you want to spend. And they're just, I mean, I have probably 20 pairs of earrings and I end up, I bought these for myself recently. I end up wearing these every day and all my earrings just sit there because they're comfortable. They're easy. If I want to dress them up, I add a little drop for the evening, um, but yeah, most most women love diamond studs or a diamond pendant. You know, this this one is just very simple and you can wear it all the time. Fantastic. I'll, uh, I'll have to keep that yeah. in mind. Okay. But, uh, so you go ahead and you shop around and then you come to me, tell me what you want, and I promise I will save you money. 
That's right. Well, I appreciate that. Well, uh, well I, go ahead. I, I just wanted to comment that, you know, everyone watching this and there's a bunch of professional athletes that uh, tend to want to buy diamond uh, studs. You can, you have people who know people, but unless you're doing it the way Heidi does it, you're probably getting ripped off. And that's the one thing that drives me crazy is when people get ripped off. And I remember there's one football player uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. He spent $400,000 in diamonds. And when he walked out of the place, they were worth about $70,000. And and, and I'm not going to name who he is, but it's, those are the kind of things that you instantly just devalue how much money you're worth because you ended up paying way too much money for something. And with Heidi, that's not going to happen. I promise you that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really unfortunate. And I see it over and over again from people who buy something from a store they tell them it's x y and z then they come to me it's not even what they said it was there was no certificate i get it certified it's a completely different color and clarity than what they told them and they end up losing a lot of money and it's i think it's horrible that people take advantage of other people like that because it's it's a very um, specific field. You really have to know what you're doing. You really, really have to know what you're looking at and you want to be able to go to somebody who you can trust. So important. That's why I send everybody to you. You know that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I so appreciate it. That's right. And folks, you can find uh, Heidi at jortman.com or of course you can always reach out to, uh, to Ed, and uh, he'll connect the relationship as well. But uh, thank you, Heidi, so much for joining us today. It's been a fantastic conversation. Um, listeners, thanks for joining us as well. And, and we'll see you next time on the Making Sense podcast. But thanks again for joining. The Making Sense podcast is recorded by Chaplin Investments Managing Partner at Butowski and Jordan McFarland. If you have any questions, please email them to info at chapwoodinvestments.com. This podcast contains general information that may not be suitable for everyone. The information contained herein should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security. Investments in commodities may have greater volatility than investments in traditional securities, particularly if the instruments involve leverage. The value of commodity-linked derivative instruments may be affected by changes in overall market movements, commodity index volatility, changes in interest rates or factors affecting a particular industry or commodity such as drought, floods, weather, livestock disease, embargoes, tariffs, and international economic, political, and regulatory developments. Use of leveraged commodity-linked derivatives creates an opportunity for increased return, but at the same time creates the possibility for greater loss.